All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 26th day of May, 2020. Before I talk more about today's show, I uh, well, I do want to remind you of my good friend, Chen Lin. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? You might want to consider uh, subscribing to Chen's letter. He's had an excellent track record uh, over the years uh, in the biotech space primarily, but also in gold and in the ener- energy sector as well. He's done very well in all three of those sectors and a few others here and there as well. Chen Lin um, and it's ChenPicks.com. My newsletter is uh, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to MiningStocks.com. You can call our office here in New York during the Regular work hours, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. And um, Michael Oliver is with us today, so we, we always like to tell you that MSA, OliverMSA.com is where you should go for Michael's excellent work, and he'll be giving you a taste of it in just a few minutes from now. I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel, and also encourage you to send along whatever thoughts you have about this show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. And our sponsors for today's show, uh, they are the people that make this show possible, RN Resources, Great Bear Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. Before I get started with today's show, I'd like to make a couple of announcements. First of all, the Virtual Metals Investor Forum that was held, uh, there will be one held, I should say, on June 18th, and I will be participating in that one along with Eric Coffin and Gwen Preston, two other newsletter writers, uh, and I will be uh, inviting various companies to this, uh, to this forum as well. Uh, and in fact, uh, a lot of very exciting junior exploration companies out there. So I'm going to be, I'll, I will advise you perhaps next week who those companies will be. Uh, already there are a couple of them that are uh, voicing an interest in coming along, but I like to pick and choose the ones that I feel uh, offer the best opportunities at a given point in time. So uh, I'll let you know next week which companies will be a part of my segment on June 18th. That's the Virtual Metals Investor Forum. Uh, you can go to miningstocks.com, click on the battle, click on the Metals Investor Forum banner, and just give your name and uh, your name and email, and you can have access to the live uh, Virtual Metals Investor Forum that I'll be a part of on June 18th. The, now, the May 13th Virtual Metals Investor Forum, which I did participate in, um, that is um, that that uh, occurred. 
Well, on May 13th, and you can now listen to it, you can you can go to miningstocks.com. Uh, if you go down, uh, just uh, scroll down the front page to uh, Economy and Trouble, Gold to the Rescue. Uh, go down and read that. Uh, just It's a very short article. And in that, uh, there are links to all of the company presentations from the May 13th uh, Metals Investor Forum. Calibre Mining, Gold Source Mines, Klondike Gold Corp, Premier Gold Mines, and Rise Gold Corp are the companies that I invited to that event. Also, my own um, my own um, presentation, which I titled, It's Worse Than You Can Imagine. Um, you can also listen to that. Uh, there is a link. Again, go to miningstocks.com and... Um, uh, just go to miningstocks.com and click on uh, and go to that article, and you can access very easily those all those articles. Um, I've titled today's show "Some Some Sunshine in the Midst of Gloom" from Richard Mayberry. Um, Richard Mayberry, Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver are my guests this week. How much of a threat is COVID-19 to your health? How much of a threat is a massive economic depression to your health and well-being? What is the geopolitical fallout with regard to rising tensions with China? What is the best way for each of us to respond to protect our families and those we love in the midst of an increasingly tyrannical U.S. government? Those are some of the topics that I want to ask Richard Mayberry to comment on during the second half of today's show. And right after our first commercial break, in just a few minutes, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us to talk about Novel Resources News today discussing the discovery of another large area measuring some 10 kilometers by 7 kilometers that host Placer Gold at Edgina, on, its, on the company's Edgina project in Western Australia. I'm looking forward to Dr. Henning providing an update on what significance this new discovery might have regarding Novo's future at the massive project, uh, that's the Edgina project, the gigantic Edgina Placer field was deposited for millions of years, over a period of millions of years, uh, from material eroded from the gold-hosted conglomerate rocks to the west, and that was uh, the area that sparked the news in 2017 that caused Novo to be one of the hottest stocks uh, on the planet. Uh, in my view, the Novo story is now better than ever, even though speculative investors may not uh, be all that excited about it now, but just in watching this company day by day and the developments that are going on, in my view, Novo Resources is still one that you should be paying a lot of attention to, and uh, we'll ask Quentin Henning to fill us in on the latest uh, right after our first commercial break, but right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me, uh, and thanks for joining me again, Michael. Oh, good to be back, Jay. Interesting times. Well, Oh, very interesting times. You know, I, I, I hope you can help us uh, make some sense of these markets, though, uh, frankly, uh, Michael, because, you know, it was around 11 o'clock this morning when I took a look at the markets, and as I was preparing for this show, gold was getting hammered. It was down about 17 bucks. The S&P was up 2% at that point in time. And, and this is happening in the face of what many believe uh, is a very serious economic future for us. Some believe could be as bad or worse than the 1930s. Can you help us make some sense of today's market action? Or, or are we just foolish for looking at it at one day at a time? I think it's foolish to look at it one day at a time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> We say that in our reports over the last several months. Broadly speaking, the following has happened. Gold has been surging now for about two years. Uh, well, since the late summer of 2018. 
uh, down in the 1100s, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's come up through a price base that everybody could see in the mid-1300s and is now, you know, literally $100, $200 short of the 2011 price high. There was a high in gold a month or so, a couple months ago, at uh, in the 1770s, and then we dropped back into the 16, uh, 1600s. Came back up recently and stopped $1 short of that high. Mm-hmm. Intra- intraday using a different contract because the April contract that expired, we're now using June. And mm-hmm. then we've gently pulled back. But basically, over the last month or two, uh, two months basically, uh, gold has gone sideways. If you'll stand back and look at it objectively, week to week, month to month, it's been a horizontal range of action, most of the action being above 1700, but almost sleepwalking, sideways, meaning firm. I'll mm-hmm. break it down. Yeah, it breaks down from a high, but it doesn't really go down anywhere. The bears must be very frustrated. Now, look at T-bonds. Same story. They surged explosively, peaking uh, you know, in late March while the S&P was making a low. And mm-hmm. then T-bonds went sideways in price, yield flat, like a rock. Look at it, a weekly chart of the T-bond futures going back two months. So while the S&P has had this great, glorious recovery rally that all the Trumplicans want to believe in, uh, T-bonds have not caved, and gold has not caved, and yet those are the two markets that were the alternative asset categories for people exiting the U.S. stock market. Those asset mm-hmm. categories did not cave when the S&P had its rally. So stand back mm-hmm. and look at the week-to-week, month-to-month, not the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Enough, on, enough on that issue. Also, oh, on the gold issue, just a price chart comment. It's extremely rare for a market to make a peak, pull back, come back, make this effectively the same peak, and top. Normally, when a market is dynamic like gold has been, when you make your high, you make a high, you retreat so deeply that the next high is far below the prior high. You mm-hmm. come back and gently kiss the last high gently and then pull back again. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this dumb price chart stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But it makes some sense. We're waiting on the S&P to roll over again, and I suspect that's going to happen very soon. Uh, and I don't think we're going to get a panic out of the S&P going forward. I think we're going to mm-hmm. get a glacial bear market. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the T-bonds will resume upside and gold will resume upside when the S&P makes its rollover uh, mm-hmm. on that category. The other, another issue that I think is important that's underneath the surface and not talked about much is the Federal Reserve. Powell, at least, has been, has some integrity, unlike Bernanke. Mm-hmm. Bernanke told us in the, at the peak of the housing crisis that there was no housing bubble. He reassured us of that, 2007, 2008. Of course, there was one. He just didn't want to admit it. Uh, and then we had the collapse. Powell, on the other hand, is panicked, white-faced. Mm-hmm. You can read it in his, the text of his comments. You can see it in the comments of his uh, other governors of the Fed making speeches. They are desperate that all actions that can be taken be taken, and not just by the Fed, but by the government itself. In other words, drop the helicopter money, uh, fiscal stimulus policies, uh, checks to the states, and so forth. Uh, interesting thought that we discussed before we went on the air, Jay, is that uh, your son or a relative uh, mentioned to you that it looked like uh, Bernie Sanders had been elected, that the policies mm-hmm. that are about to go into effect, and I don't mm-hmm. care whether Trump gets reelected or uh, Biden or some other alternative Democrat takes his place, uh, you know, Obama's wife, for example. No matter which, who gets elected, I guarantee 
that student loans are going to be suspended, forgiven. Uh, guaranteed income is probably coming down the pike, and I wouldn't be surprised that income taxes are abolished next year, possibly even this year. Uh, meaning the full helicopter, uh, helicopters beyond or any conception are about to occur. Checks are coming. I don't know why they don't just write everybody a million-dollar check and end the whole thing, right? No. Well, ten million or a hundred million. What? No, what what's the difference? You know, it's only a number. No more debt. You know, no more debt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we're living in the twilight zone, and mm-hmm. the underlying fundamentals that cause this break are not the virus. The virus is merely a, an instigator. We've had twelve years of Federal Reserve central government stimulus and less than investment grade rates that anybody who is retired needs rates to you know have a nice yield to retire on companies don't get a good yield so they've denied rates they've discouraged savings and therefore when an emergency comes up consider a family for example if every family in the country had a let's say a three or six month reserve of savings they could, you know, they could effectively take a three-month vacation, a six-month right. vacation. Right. Uh, right. Then a crisis that lasts several months, they could, they could weather it. Right. But they can't. Nor can corporations. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, yeah. in the corporate debt market now, which is uh, the new replacement for what MBSs were in 2007, mortgage-backed securities, the Federal Reserve is now buying corporate debt through ETFs. HYG, yep. JNK ETFs, yeah. corporate U.S. debt, high-yield debt, to support it. Yeah. Well, this is the yeah. same thing they did at the discount window in 2007 when they allowed mortgage-backed securities mm-hmm. of less than AAA grade to be brought to the window and effectively bought by the Fed or money loaned against them. Uh, they didn't claim it was buying, but in effect it was. The problem with that is what happens when a big guy like the Fed comes in to any market mm-hmm. to stabilize it. He becomes, in effect, a monopoly force. That right that totally destroys the market function of price expiration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you yeah, deny but... investors price expiration, you deny them reality. They're blind. Yeah. And it could destroy well, of... that market. Yeah. Well, of course, that's what the Fed's been doing all along with interest yeah. rates, has not been allowing the price discovery for capital. And so we've dug ourselves into such a hole, encouraging people to overspend, overinvest, to invest in bad things, and now the piper is uh, is going to be paid. I'm afraid. Well, just one more just one more comment I'd like to make because we're we're out of time. But notice that uh, J.P. Morgan was suggesting that the reason that gold has been rising the way it is is because there is a growing lack of confidence in the Federal Reserve and in the banking system. Well, why not? Why would anybody? If I mean, what you're saying is comes to comes to pass. There's no integrity left in the central banking system at all. Uh, it is breeding chaos, it would seem to be, Michael. Absolutely. I think it's inevitable at this point, and I don't think a, a political outcome of the next election is any relevance. It's going to make much difference, yeah. No. So, uh, Michael, as I understand, when I was looking, reading your, your work over the weekend, or maybe it was a few days earlier, uh, basically you're suggesting, I mean, earlier you had said 1,700 would be the sort of the first real test for gold at sort of a, uh, a resistance level, but then it would go much higher. But you're not suggesting any kind of guidance in terms of where you think it's going to go. And I think that makes sense because who knows how worthless the dollar will become. How many trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars will be created out of nothing to try to overcome this massive debt implosion that that the the Fed is trying to overcome? 
10,000 an ounce, 100,000. Literally, it's, it's beyond. It doesn't matter, really, does it? Because no, it's, it's, it's not what gold is worth. It's what it's the worthlessness of the currency, and that's always the way it is. Uh, when currencies go to the dustbin of history, which is certainly uh, it's always the way it's been, fiat currencies don't last. The only one that does last over, over long periods of time is gold. Michael, we're out of time. So much more to ask you. we we got to get you back again as soon as possible. So thanks so much for being with us again. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. All much. right, folks. All right, we do have to go to break, but don't go away. Quentin Henning is going to be with us, and uh, Quentin will talk about Noble Resources. That company is still doing a lot of great things. There are not, not too many people are paying attention like they once did in 2017, but a lot of really great things going on. So uh, we'll be right back after the break with Quentin Henning. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning, and he's going to talk to us today about Novo Resources. Uh, that's a, a company that, of course, has been featured uh, on this show many times in the past. 2017, uh, it was the hottest stock on the planet, at least for at least in the gold among the gold uh, sector anyway, when they found some very large nuggets in the Comet Well and Pretty's reward uh, portion that's in the northwestern part of this massive land package that Novo Gold has in Western Australia. And the market has cooled off a bit since then, quite a bit actually. Uh, but the work has continued on, and in my view, probably more important than ever, this is a, a stock that you need to watch uh, very carefully. So I'm really glad to have Quentin back with us today. Thanks for joining me, Quentin. Sure thing, Jay. Always a pleasure. It's always good to have you with us. Um, first of all, I, I understand you're not traveling. You're you're in your home in, in Colorado most of the time now. I, who is traveling these days, I guess? But how are things going for Novo down there in Australia now? Are you back? You're, you're people down there on the ground doing some work, I think, right? They are. That we resume work at Edgina, so uh, things are uh, exploration is on in full earnest in in uh, the Edgina area, and we uh, anticipate a very busy season this year. Australia has done a great job kind of containing things, uh, Western Australia in particular. They're not seeing any increase in, in uh, cases in COVID at the moment, and they intend to keep it that way. So I think Australia's got well, things well under control. Well, that's good news. And um, 
With regard to Edgina, of course, I just I mentioned Comet Well and Purdy's Reward a little bit to the west, and then of course Beaton's Creek was what you worked on first. Uh, quite a ways to the east, it's just a massive land package that Novo has over there. Uh, but as I understand it, just just uh, to set the record straight for people who may not be familiar with this story, the Edgina project that you're working on now, that you're focused on, is really has uh, it's a gold hosted uh, from a ero- uh, that's eroded from uh, the conglomerate belt, uh, the conglomerate rocks over at Edgina and Purdy's Reward. Do I have that right? That is correct. Yes, the gold in the the modern gravel, the slag gravel that we find over the terrace. Uh, surface is derived in large from uh, the conglomerates that are immediately to the south and really that would have been overhead. I mean, they've eroded away, so they melted away. And that gold's been liberated and is now reworked into these gravels. And so the idea is that uh, Mother Nature has done a lot of the milling for you. And that is is probably the easier gold to get to and to recover than from from the source to the west, that is the conglomerate belts, right? Uh, yes, that is absolutely true. Look, it's not that we don't recognize there is very good potential in those conglomerates. In fact, we're working on uh, accessing those. They are within the Gandhiara Reserve, uh, like a lot of the ground that we're talking about here. Uh, so we have to do things uh, measured. You know, we can't just go pell-mell out and, uh, mm-hmm. and tread over ground that we're not uh, cleared to. But uh, we, we are working towards that agreement. And that those conglomerates uh, are also a viable target for us. But in the meantime... You know, the loose gravels, like you said, this pre-milled, we'll call it, you know, naturally pre-milled gold mineralization in the gravels is our main thrust here. Right. Um, Well, this morning you put out a press release and it was titled, Novo Discovers Broad Gold-Bearing Swale at Edgina Mining Lease and uh, Discusses Terrace Concept. That was the headline. And swale is a term that's not that familiar to most of us that have been following mining companies for a while. So not being sure what the word meant, I looked it up and it, it said, um, it, it looked at, it says a shallow channel with gently sloping sides. Is that is that the picture? Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you look at these features, um, you know, the, the, the gravel fills them, okay? So it's actually kind of hard, you know, for you to cast your eye out over the surface and, and identify a swell. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is ground penetrating radar and you can actually see the basement contact using that radar. So now you you know that there's a gentle dip or a gentle valley uh, underneath your feet. Okay, so that's how we're targeting uh, our exploration in the region. We're looking for these uh, these swales. You get, one way to think of it is like, uh, you know, uh, branches on a tree or something like this. So, you know, there's a, a vast network of these things uh, up in the, the, you know, hinterland or the headwater of the system. The swales are, are generally smaller. They're probably on an mm-hmm. order of a few tens of meters across. And as you go out further on the terrace, th- uh, these things appear to be expanding and becoming, you know, several hundred meters wide as you go out. But they're they're kind of a network of uh, of stream channels, or or I shouldn't say stream. I should just say channels, mm-hmm. channel-like that uh, coalesce and kind of come back together. You know, we've we've in and out with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give our listeners some sense of the of the scale of these of these swales and and the area? I think I saw in your press release something. The area that you're looking at now is something like ten kilometers by seven kilometers or something like that. Uh, it's actually bigger than that. We it's about seventeen kilometers north south. What, what we talked about this this oh, morning's release is about seventeen kilometers north south, about ten kilometers east west. So you know it's about 170 square kilometers. And this is really just a, a small subset of our overall land package across the edge and area. 
this area is where we're focused at this time. We will do exploration outside of it. We'll grow the system even more over the, the coming months. But right now, what we're starting to do is see a picture of what's emerging right here at, in the immediate edge of area. And it's really intriguing. Uh, last year, we did a lot of work on a, what we call the test swale, which was uh, about a 50-meter wide swale that was up you know, in the hill country or just next to the hills mm-hmm. in the southern part of this target area. And, and it was successful. You know, we found a very good grade, you know, say 1.7 gram gold per cubic meter within the swale itself. The grades diminish as you go onto the shoulders, maybe 0.6 gram per cubic meter. And then the flat area out around the swale still had, you know, what is actually in alluvial were quite, quite good grades, you know, 0.3 gram per cubic meter. All right, so that was our test area. But what we're finding is now as we sample, we take these bulk samples, uh, what we call max samples. They're indicative samples uh, from areas further out onto the terrace. We're finding these swales are opening up uh, dramatically. You know, they're they're not 50 meters wide; they're like 10, 10 or 15 or 20 times that width. So hmm. this is very encouraging. Uh, it's just like I said earlier. You know, as the system goes out on the terrace, the the channels open up and they become broader. And so now you're talking about uh, you know some very serious square kilometers that we have to work. I think at the end of the day, we'll see a very very large gold system here. People say, well, you know, what's going to be economic out of this? Well, look, it, it's intriguing because we're we're not really seeing any, you know, quote-unquote dead areas at this time. We, we get mm. gold in virtually every single max sample we take. You know, so uh, alluvial deposits, yeah, they average about 0.2, 0.3 grams. That's our low grade. I mean, that's our lowest grade. Okay, so <laughs> this is encouraging. Um, <laughs> you know, it might mean that, uh, you know, the, the greater terrace, uh, you know, is, is – uh, you know, potentially economic over large, very large areas. So we're we're upbeat. We're extremely excited. We're starting to piece the geology together. Uh, we can connect this new discovery that we made at Edge in a Mining Lease now, which is towards the south, with what we're seeing further north. Um, you know, we're talking about features that are going to go on for kilometers and kilometers. It's not a little system. This is a huge system. Well, it's a huge system, but that means that the end of the day seems to be further away. When you say the end of the day, Quentin, what, how long are we going to have to wait before we can start to get a sense of the economics of this? And I know that you've done, as you just mentioned, you, uh, you did some assaying of, of, uh, of some other of these areas uh, at Edgina, and the grades are, as you say, really quite good for this kind of an operation. Uh, yeah. But when, when might we start to get some sense when can investors start to say aha we've got all of these areas now and this is kind of what we can expect in terms of uh, grades and cost etc sure there's two parts to that answer i mean grade is definitely one okay you want to know how much dollar value there is in a cubic meter of dirt and yes we use cubic meters here a lot of people ask me why not use uh, grams per ton or something like the, the density of the gravels varies considerably from place to place in one place it might be sandy in one place it might be rocky there might be iron class in it you know, there's a lot of different variables, uh, so it's easier to just do it in gra- grams per cubic meter. Uh, it's also a function of how you, you're going to mine it. You're going to mine this stuff at you know on a, a, a dollars per cubic meter basis. It's it's sitting right at the surface. Okay, it's not mm-hmm. like you have to, you have to dig a big hole in the ground and move tons around. So the the costing is going to be based on uh, your ability to move gravel. Period. Okay. Uh, so here's here's the thing. The grades. They look robust right now. We don't have, we don't lose a lot of sleep there. Okay, we we mm-hmm. feel very confident that the grades we're seeing 
are are going to be economic. In fact, maybe you know quite you know potentially high you know very high margin if if we do things right. Okay, so now the second part of this is how much does it cost to dig and, and process that material? Okay. Um, we we have uh, mechanical sorting work that we've done recently. It looks like it works like a charm. We get very good recovers, re- recovery with the me- mechanical sorter. And this year we have uh, plans to put one in the field, maybe even two machines in the field, to test uh, the viability and economics mm-hmm. uh, of that technology. Okay, that's fantastic. We anticipate it should be very low cost, all that test work we did. We, we presented to the market a few weeks ago, or actually a couple months ago, I guess, uh, you know, that mechanical sorting is very low-cost processing, okay? So, yes, you got to screen it and sort it and stuff, and but once you put it through a machine, it's cheap processing. Okay, the second part of this is the continuous miner. A lot of people say, well, are you going to go mining? I, look, we hope this year we could do continuous mining with coronavirus or this whole situation. It's a little more complicated, but the technology is is tried and true. Like we we don't have to worry too much about the continuous mining because we already know it will work. Okay, uh, it's more about mechanical sorting. We want to make sure that that will work as a viable sol- uh, processing solution. So uh, here's here's where we're headed. By the end of this year, look, we've even hired a gentleman uh, here recently who's uh, his name is Chris Martin. Uh, he's he's joined Rob Humphreyson in um, in Perth. Uh, Chris Martin has expertise in mining of this style. Okay, he's mm-hmm. he's also expertise in using mechanical sorters. I would say that that Chris's work, you know, as he joins the team and, and gets up to speed here, he will be able to allow us to start talking about the costs around mining, uh, you know, potential costs of mining and processing of this material mm-hmm. by late this year. You know, we're we're moving on all fronts. This isn't just an exploration story. This is also about actually trying to figure out and move forward the uh, the whole story. Uh, towards a production story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it, I kind of look at you, uh, you know, in comparing you with a more traditional mining, mine exploration development project, you're kind of at that point where you're engineering and uh, costing and that sort of thing. And, and it's, a, it's a time when a lot of investors aren't as excited as they are during the initial discovery. But what I think uh, a lot of people are missing is uh, the tremendous potential economics here, the sorting that you've talked about. And I guess what you're going to be doing now is moving that sorting technology into the field uh, before it was in the laboratory, but now you're going to be uh, scaling it up, I guess, into the field to a certain extent, right? We'll be putting machines in the field, you know, machines that we can put material through, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Quentin, you also have, of course, other projects, and uh, you, you mentioned Purdue's reward and uh, Comet Well, you'll you'll be going back there at some point in time. But it looks like you have your hands full with uh, with Edgina right now. But I know you're also you know you haven't forgotten Beaton's Creek. Uh, what is it? Quite a ways over to the east there. And and uh, uh, what are well, you doing with that now? Let's talk about that. We uh, we have uh, completed our in-house option study. We know a couple of very good viable paths for the, the project at this, at this point. And in fact, the reason we've made some hires lately, you know, including Chris, is to be able to move the project forward. I think that within a, the next few months, we will have a clear development strategy for Beaton's Creek. It's that simple. Okay, we're, we're not mucking around. Uh, we've, we've taken Beaton's Creek all the way through mine permitting. Uh, we've got the native title agreements. Every single box has been ticked around that project. 
we are planning to move that forward towards production, period. And that really is an important part of this story because things like Karatha, which is very similar to Beaton's Creek in many respects, are things that we can build on. We can we can dovetail in with Beaton's Creek production. For example, we can mechanically sort material over a Karatha, upgrade it, and then ship it to a central processing facility. So look, mm-hmm. uh, I've talked about this numerous times at you know in numerous different interviews and shows and whatnot. And this, the the absolute model that we're pursuing has not wavered. It's not changed. We are going to put these deposits in production. Edgina will probably be a standalone. Obviously, you're not going to truck gravels all over the place. Okay, we want to do continuous mining at Edgina, so it'll mm-hmm. be a standalone operation. But for the hard rock, we're mm-hmm. looking at uh, a scenario where we we basically we treat things through a central processing facility. And we really build, uh, you know, Novo into a, a, a production story, a significant gold producer. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's uh, it's really exciting, and um, we'll um, we'll look to keep up with the story on an ongoing basis. That's for sure. Thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us again, and uh, all the best. Thank you very much, Jay. All right, folks. We do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Richard Mayberry will be with me uh, right after the break uh, to hear what he has to say. But Richard actually brings some sunshine into the. Uh, this these gloomy uh, uh, COVID nineteen days. Uh, Richard has some some interesting things to say and some reasons to uh, to be upbeat about things. There's uh, so we can't wait to hear what Richard has to say right after the breaks. Don't go away. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer flagship Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have Richard Mayberry with me again, and he is the publisher of U.S. and World Early Warning Report. And uh, you should really go to earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com, to sign up for Rick's letter. It's a very inexpensive letter, uh, just chock full of, uh, of insights. Uh, and Rick really has a great history as a historian. He is He's written a number of books that are really, I think, very much go to the core of what America was meant to be by the Founding Fathers. Uh, and Rick, if anybody can talk about how we've gone astray from the vision of our early 
uh, of the people that uh, gave us our country, who ch- who uh, chased King George out of here, um, and uh, and and at times like this, when we're really facing some uh, some issues that uh, are quite quite um, quite disturbing to many of us, uh, it's really good to have someone like Rick join us. Thanks for coming on the show today, Rick. Oh, thank you, Jay. I uh, really admire the the job you're doing, giving people a an alternative view to the mainstream press. Um, there's there's such a need for that because the mainstream press is so slanted. Um, and, uh, you know, there, need, there needs to be some other viewpoints out there <laughs> besides well, the official ones. Thank well, you, you certainly, uh, well, thank you very much because you, are the, you do the same, uh, you do also work that I think is so valuable. And, Rick, what bothers me more than anything is that people aren't really seeming to be interested in alternative views. You know, it's either their way or the highway. There's no, there's no, there's no modesty. It seems like, well, maybe I'm wrong about this. Let me just hear. I don't like what that guy over there is saying, but maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I do well to listen. But that doesn't seem to be something that's common, as common as it used to be in America. Do you think so? Uh, yeah, and I think uh, some large part of that is due to fear. People, um, they don't really understand these any, these things anymore because the last time uh, the American people really delved deep, deeply into the nature of political power and how you keep political power from wrecking your civilization was back there around 1776. Uh, there was about a 20-year period where they really got into it. And they don't understand these things anymore. All they know is that the people in Washington have an incredible power over our lives and change their minds constantly. And um, there's just no telling what those people back there in in, uh, Washington, D.C. are going to do. So everybody lives with a level of fear that I think makes them intolerant of, of other viewpoints. Now, they're not going to be broad-minded as long as they're afraid for the future of their families. Mm-hmm. And, and people feel like they need, to, uh, they, they need to be like everybody else. They daren't be different because they might, be, they might stand out and, uh, or stand against the authority. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's part of um, it. Yeah, yeah every, everybody, um, while, that, while, like I said, they, they can't articulate these things because they have no background in them anymore. The, the public mm-hmm. schools do not teach American history in a way that anybody can understand. And, um, and so there's just this level of fear that all you know is that there are these politicians and bureaucrats that have incredible abilities to meddle in your life. And you mm-hmm. don't know what they're going to do. So you naturally wake up in the morning with a level of fear, and you go to bed at night at that same level of fear. And uh, I, I, there's no solution to this until the people start rebelling against political power itself. It's evil stuff. The American founders understood that. The whole purpose of the Constitution is to try to neutralize political power. Mm-hmm. And it did a pretty good job of it, especially the Bill of Rights. Uh, it lasted for mm, 70 years or, or thereabouts before it really started to come unglued. Um, but, um, again, you know, until they begin to realize that the, the problem isn't 
conservatives or liberals or Democrats or Republicans or socialists or fascists. The power, the, the, the problem is the political power. It corrupts the morals and the judgment. No matter who has it, it it's evil stuff, and it has to be reduced. And, you know, you and I are in the business of trying to spread the word about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about a, a couple of comments. Uh, well, one in particular uh, uh, concerning the coronavirus, because that's all we hear about these days, and that's yeah. part of the propaganda, I think. But you said, mm-hmm. and I quote, the coronavirus is a problem, but as a global, uh, but as a global catastrophe, it's a hoax. Uh, of course, uh, end of quote. Of course, mainstream media would uh, beg to differ with you. And, uh, you know, I certainly have had this sense that this thing seems unreal. I don't quite understand it now as we're seeing more and more statistics coming out. We find out there was an awful lot of fear-mongering to start with that wasn't, certainly hasn't been anything nearly as bad as what we were told. We we're going to have a couple of million Americans dying, so on and so forth. Now we find out it's mostly just old folks uh, that have other issues and problems. Uh, young people hardly are touched at all by it. Um, and it's, so it's to shut the whole economy down, Rick, it just seems... It just seems like an incredible, I guess this gets to what you were talking about just a moment ago about fear and the propaganda and how people just feel they just automatically snap in line. It's like, yeah. wow, I mean, I mean, how did Germany go the route that it went at some point in time, right? Yeah. Fear yeah. and... That's absolutely true. Uh, I, I think that... Um, one of the things that, that we've we've got to keep in mind here when we're talking about COVID-19 is how really unreliable any of the statistics are, and there's a reason for that. It's it's not only because governments tend to be really sloppy about everything they do. Um, it's even more so the fact that, and this is this has uh, been checked out. Uh, USA Today did a very extensive investigation about this. And, and what's going on is that everybody who is checked into a hospital in the United States um, who has any number of diseases, you, you, it doesn't matter how many problems you've got medically, um, if you have COVID-19, then the hospital automatically gets more money. Mm-hmm. And if you are put on a ventilator, they get even more money from the government. Right. And if you die of COVID-19, they get even more money. Well, these hospitals are in deep financial trouble all over the country uh, because they're, they're having to uh, delay so much of their um, uh, surgeries and other things that really pay the bills. So, um, you know, what do you think they're going to do? If, if they've got the ability to say that this person died with COVID-19. And they don't have to say he died of COVID-19. All they no, have to he say is he, he had it, yeah. and they get more money. Well, what are they yeah. going to do? They're, you know, I mean, if I was running a hospital, I'd be sorely tempted to just say, all these people coming in that have COVID-19 um, uh, you know, are, are people who should uh, generate more money for us. Yeah, especially if they die. So what incentive yeah. is there to do uh, what a hospital is normally expected to do? I, I don't yeah. know. That sounds so sinister. It's, it's hard to believe, but I, but I don't. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm afraid I have to think there could be something to it. You know, Rick, I, I, you, uh, another thing that you talked about in your letter was, 
and this gets to the, our relationship with China. You, uh, you noted that President Wilson in 1918, his opinion was that the countries, um, they, the countries that controlled the, the sea lanes and, the, and the, the ocean areas around their countries should no longer have that control, but that the United States should have it. In other words, we should control the sea lanes of the world. Uh, 1918, and and what you're suggesting now is China and Russia and Iran and several other countries are saying, wait a minute, we've had it with you guys, we've had it with the United States. Uh, is that part of what's going on now with our relationship with China? I mean, Trump starts the trade war. You know, Trump decides to get tough with China on trade and try to get jobs back here in America. So mm-hmm. he slaps on he slaps on these the trade war, and then you have this coronavirus thing that springs up afterwards. Do you think there could be something related to that? You, how, can you help us sort of try to fit these different pieces together, if at all, if they do, in fact, in your mind, yeah. fit together? Right. Um, Wilson, in 1918, released his so-called uh, 14 points, one of which was that the countries that owned a given section of the oceans uh, for centuries should give them up and should give... Uh, uh, control of them over to some other international body. Back in those days, it would have been the League of Nations. Um, now it's the UN. And these fools in Washington decided that the U.S. should be the policeman for the UN and should um, protect the UN's control of these areas, which are enormous. I mean, big areas of ocean that were once owned by Russia and China and other nations, and uh, that uh, the U.S. should just enforce that the U.N.'s rules for these areas should prevail. And so these governments, you know, which have been flat on their back, a lot of them for a long, long time, mostly due to World War II, but they've made their comebacks now, and they want their property back. Um, One of the examples, of course, is China and uh, the South China Sea, the East China Sea, and the Yellow Sea. Those all belonged to China at one time, and they want them back. There's the area along uh, the northern coast of Russia, all of that Arctic area, which contains, mm-hmm. we think, an awful lot of minerals, including oil, that all used to belong to Russia. And suddenly the United States you know, comes along and, and says, well, the U.N. thinks it does. Uh, this stuff ought to be public property owned by everybody and controlled by U.N. rules. And so, therefore, we're going to enforce that. Well, that's kind mm-hmm. of an automatic declaration of war when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this, you know, all these, these governments that own these various areas. Liv- the Libyan government owned the Gulf of Sidra. The, uh, the uh, Iranian government owned, owned the Persian Gulf. I mean, mm-hmm. after all, the... You know, Iran is Persia, and it was called the Persian Gulf because the Persians owned it. And uh, the U.S. comes along and says, oh, the U.N. really ought to be the one that controls it. So this is insane, and and it's just, uh, as I say, these other governments, they're kind of forming a loose alliance with the intention of taking back what was theirs. And if the U.S. is going to try to stop them, um, it's going to need a whole lot more troops and a whole lot more ships and planes and tanks and all the rest of it. Well, do you think that uh, that we will try to stop it? I mean, clearly there seems to be 
especially with Trump, he seems to be much more aggressive against China than, say, the Democrats were. So let's say that the Democrats take back the uh, both 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 branches of, of the legislature and the and the White House. Uh, do you think they might just sort of say, let's make peace with China and and some of our elites uh, just continue to get rich and fat by uh, by handing things over to China, or, or how do you think this is going to play out? Well, it's um, I, I wouldn't use the phrase handing them over to China because. Well, for one thing, China uh, really essentially already owns those areas. <laughs> they, they have, yeah. that, that's one of the things the mainstream press won't talk about. Yeah. The Chinese government already has hundreds, maybe thousands of missiles along their coast. These are long-range missiles, and uh, they essentially already own the South China Sea, East China Sea, and Yellow Sea. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, you know... That at some point in the future, I think we're going to see a demonstration of the fact that they still own it. And um, that's when everybody's going to realize that uh, Washington either has to get into a really big war with China or uh, back away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, and they're not prepared to fight. That's the thing. The, the U.S. armed forces are spread so thin around the world trying to enforce the United Nations rules every place, mm-hmm. that uh, they can't possibly handle a war of that magnitude without some incredible military buildup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the incredible military buildup, Mr. Trump seems to be willing to do that and spend endless amounts of money for whatever. It's almost as if, uh, you know, as if he is the biggest socialist, the biggest spender of all. Um, you know, Michael Oliver was with us during the first segment, suggested that if he thought Bernie Sanders was bad in terms of spending money, we've got him beat already in the White House with Mr. Trump giving COVID-19 and all of that. He seems to be nothing he's not willing to spend money on uh, mm-hmm. and print money to, to pay for it. So how, do you, how bad do you think this economy is going to get, Rick? And, and you know, with, with what we have, it seems to me with the kind of unemployment we have, the bankruptcies that are just now starting to be reported, that this thing is really, really bad. That this is this 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 looks to me like it could be as bad as or worse than the 1930s. What are your thoughts? Well, it could be. I mean, that's that's indisputable. Um, there's the the possibility that it would be, but it doesn't have to be. It's not baked in the cake. This is not a uh, economic recession or depression or downturn or whatever you want to call it. Like is normal. Um, this is, you know, this is not a shakeout of the malinvestment that's happened. Um, this is just the government ordering people to stop being productive. Mm-hmm. Well, all you have to do is rescind the orders, and these people are going to go back to work. You know, humans are are not machines. You don't have to start them. They want to be productive. <laughs> they want to go to work and take care of their families. So all you have to do is let them. That, and I, I wish people would would get the word out about that. Just, mm-hmm. you know, the government should get the heck out of the way and let people go live their lives. And if, as long as the government stands in the way like this, it's going to keep getting worse. But it doesn't have to. It, it's, this is it's something entirely This is made in the capitals of, of the world, in these... Mm-hmm. These politicians and bureaucrats, 
these power junkies who have a chance mm-hmm. to stick their noses into all of our lives and and uh, treat us as puppets. And, yeah. and they're loving it, I'll bet you. They just love this. And the people have got to rebel against it. It's just got to happen. The people have got to demand that they, the government leave them alone to live their lives. You know, you've talked in the past about the power, the, the power trip. You know, I always kind of thought it was had to do with money and and power. But you think power is the thing that really, really these people really get off on. I mean, I think of the the governor of Michigan, who's uh, you know clamping down on almost everything. And you know, how many times you can take a breath during a given minute, almost. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, it's just incredible. But you've seen it all along. And then the governors. Uh, like the one in um, in Georgia who, or Florida who loosen up, then they're criticized in the mainstream media uh, for allowing people to go back to work, allowing them to breathe and to be productive, as you say they uh, normally want to be. Um, that's what gives people meaning in life is to do things for other people and to feed their family, right? Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's uh, incredible to me that... People have have completely lost the understanding of what political power does to a person's mind. Uh, The political power is the legalized privilege of using brute force on persons who haven't harmed anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's That's what what, what governments do. And our our founders understood that. Uh, right, Rick. With just with just about uh, just about two minutes left or so, I wanted to ask you about uh, one of the things that you follow very closely is monetary velocity, and I know mm-hmm. that's something that you know most Austrian advocates of Austrian economics don't pay too much attention to. What is your read of that right now? And then, if uh, a second question, if I could, uh, just talk to us a little bit about what you see some of the opportunities. Uh, in terms of, you know, because these kind of times breed opportunities. So uh, I'll let you go, and I'll, I'll be quiet now because we only have another two minutes. Okay. Um, the, you know, this is explained in uh, early warning report. Uh, yes. uh, if, you, if you get a subscription, you can, uh, you can get the explanation there this month or in June. Um, mm-hmm. The, you know, velocity is the speed at which money changes hands. When people have confidence, not only in the money, but in their lives in general, uh, they'll spend their money, and it creates jobs by doing that. But if they get scared, um, they want cash, and they want to hoard it. And velocity, the speed at which money changes hands, falls. And it has the same effect as a vast reduction in the money supply. It's deflationary. And that's what's been going on. These governments all over the world have just spread so much fear that people who even have a lot of money are afraid to spend it. So we've got velocity. Velocity goes through three stages. Um, and it's way down deep in stage one right now, which is a very deflationary, actually mm-hmm. depressionary level. Mm-hmm. If the government will get out of the way, the velocity will come right on up again. Yeah. Um, people yeah. will, will feel better, and they'll start spending, and it'll be, uh, you know, the economy will go into a boom. But the government's got to get out of the way. That's the okay, main Rick, thing. Rick. We're, we're going to have to leave it go at that. And I would tell my listeners that they need to sign up for your letter because you have some great uh, some great stock picks, I think. Now, the one thing we didn't have a chance to talk about today was uh, some of those some of those picks. 
but we have to have you back on again sometime soon uh, to talk about that because I think there's some real – you've done extremely well with your portfolio over the years, uh, and that's something we need to also talk about uh, and let people know about it. But, uh, folks, if you can't wait until we have Rick on again, and I, I don't know, uh, hopefully we'll have him on soon – it's earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com. Go there, sign up for Rick's letter. It's very inexpensive, and you'll get your money back many times, I think, if you pay attention to some of the uh, some of the things he's suggesting you buy. Rick, we do have to leave it go at that. I'm out of time. Thank you so much for being with us. Folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, Alistair McLeod and Cora Co. of Sitka Gold Corp. will be my guest. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Oren Resources is an exploration company defined by its aggressive ambition to find the world's largest mines. Oren has raised over $100 million in this effort and believes it is on to three major discoveries at its projects in Canada and Peru. This year, Oren plans to drill Sombrero, where targets have analogous features to the 10th largest copper mine globally. The company also plans to drill its other substantial base and precious metal opportunities that management believes will be complemented by the strongest bull market in commodities over the last 50 years. Visit AURYNresources.com and subscribe to keep up with the busy year ahead.